Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to a new episode of Simply Empowered, the podcast that discusses real-life issues that teens face every day and how to conquer them. I'm your host, Madeline Sang, and because it's Lunar New Year, with me today is Lauren Chang and Fiona Sang for a special episode on Asian American identity. So before we get started, why don't you two introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background? Sounds good. So I'm Fiona. Um, I am from America, well, I was born here, but my parents are from Hong Kong, so I am Chinese-American, um, and I grew up here, like, went to school here, was born here, um, so I am very much immersed in American culture, but I do have a tad bit of Chinese culture within my family, which is pretty cool as well, um, and a little bit more about me, I also have a podcast, and Maddie's been on it multiple times, um, and yeah, pretty cool. Hi, I'm Lauren and I'm Taiwanese-American. Like Fiona, I was born here in America, but both my parents are from Taiwan and they immigrated here when they were teenagers. So I've learned a lot about my culture and my heritage from them and also my Saturday Chinese school. A little bit more about me is that I work for Unconfined, which is a nonprofit that donates towards charitable causes. And I also work for Tsusa, which is an Asian-American organization in America, in Taiwan, and in China that helps with relief and charity from like natural disasters or just COVID. Wow, both of you are seriously awesome because I was about to say, hi, I'm Maddie. My mom is immigrated to Brooklyn from China when she was 12 and my dad was born in Maryland. <laughs> but um, you guys have such interesting like Asian American backgrounds and I still have some of those experiences, you know, like from my grandparents, they always tell me stories and from my mother. And so I think I'm really excited to talk about Lunar New Year. And so for those of you who don't know, Lunar New Year is the beginning of uh, the lunisolar calendar and is commonly celebrated in Asian cultures such as China, Vietnam, South Korea, etc. And it's really special. My mom always used to call it Asian Thanksgiving or Chinese Thanksgiving because we're Chinese and because everyone always or generally makes the way home to celebrate with family. And so Lauren and Fiona, what are some of your experiences with Lunar New Year? I think my favorite experience as a kid was dancing in like the um, ch- like Asian parades um, that we had for Lunar New Year. And I think it was like a really good way for me to tap into like my Asian background since I didn't know much about it. And I think it was like a really good way for me to learn about my culture in an art form that I really liked. And so I think that was my favorite part. And of course, the food, because you can never forget good food on Lunar New Year. Yes. And to add on to that, like whenever I went to celebrate, I didn't have a chance to actually do those traditional dances, but on every Saturday or like every weekend of Lunar New Year, we would always go to like downtown San Diego, which is where I'm from. And we would go watch the festival and see the dancers. And I think it's really special. So Lauren, what were you going to say? A lot of the experiences I've had with Lunar New Year come from my Chinese school, where we would do a Lunar New Year festival every single year. And my favorite one especially is when my class got to do the lion dance for everybody, which was super cool because I got to learn about the history of Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year from that experience. And it was just, it was very educational for me because living in America, you don't really get to know a lot about the Lunar New Year and the traditions that they do in Taiwan and China and other places. So I just thought that was a very good or a very cool experience to sort of learn about my heritage and my culture. 
Wow, that's actually really cool because I just realized there's a chance that I might have seen you in like one of those like festivals before I like met you, you know, like if you were dancing, doing the dragon dances or lion dances. I think that's really cool, actually. So um, for those of you who want to learn more about like Lunar New Year and the special holiday, I'll be including a link in the show notes for more details as well as several other resources. And so let's move on to the broader issue, which is Asian American identity. So as Lauren really did a good job touching upon you don't get to hear much about this stuff in the u.s just simply because u.s is much more than just say asian american cultures and so this season is supposed to be one of the more celebratory times for those of you who don't know but given current events um which we'll go into later on we thought it'd be a good idea to open a discussion about asian american identity so in this episode we'll be discussing the model minority myth anti-asian racism due to COVID 19 and intersectional activism and so some of these topics for some of my listeners, they might be something that you don't hear often and that's no one's fault. All we ask is that you listen with an open mind. And finally, please note that while our experiences are based on personal events, unless otherwise indicated, and we'll be citing a few sources um, throughout there and we'll include those links in the show notes as well. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, Let's break it down. The first topic we're going to be discussing is the model minority myth. And so Lauren and Fiona, what are some definitions of the model minority myth or examples that come to mind when you hear that phrase? Model minority is a term that kind of people give to um, other races, um, minorities specifically, who um, are members of society but are perceived to have like a higher status because um, of what they do or like their race, basically. Um, so to, t- to build upon that, I think that one thing about the model minority myth is that it's comparative. And so it's putting two minorities together. So for example, you could compare or they compare Asian communities versus black communities. And so they put a certain standard and then they use that as a form of comparison to say, hey, Asian Americans are more hardworking according to them, you know, and so why aren't you like this? And so these comparative things is a form of, um, I would say, perpetuated racism, even though it's not as harmful as some other racism or hate crimes that other communities face, it's still very much real. And so I think the main thing to take away from what it is, is that it sets a standard, a comparative standard that is both harmful to the Asian community itself, because it says that you have to be a certain way. And that I'll get more into it later, but I think that it does lead to academic anxiety and a sense of false expectation based on things that are attributed to our race rather than our personal qualities. Yeah, building off of that, the model minority myth definitely affects young people our age, especially middle schoolers to college students because of the pressure that it puts on us to do well and to succeed. And it's also created this false definition of success for us, which is defined by the stereotype of Asian Americans that has been placed upon us through this myth. And to put this into perspective, if it's kind of hard for um, people to understand because you're not Asian American, um, like sometimes when, well, this happened to me, so I just kind of want to give a personal example to put this into perspective. But um, when I was in high school, well, I still am in high school, but um, people come up to me and say, can you do my math homework because you're Asian and you're good at math? Um, And that's an example of like pressure that we experience because of 
our race and our expectation to be good at something because we're a certain race. And building off of that, I think it's really important to have these personal examples. I think that it's not only perpetuated by students, unfortunately, but people have a subconscious view that Asian American students, whether they be Chinese, Taiwanese, um, Vietnamese, or Indian, they have this perception that we're going to be the studious ones and that, you know, that, that they, they think that we know what we're doing automatically rather than um, based on like our actual merits. So I think there's a differentiation to be made here that we can still be academically successful without reinforcing the model minority myth. In fact, I think it's really important to pursue what you're passionate about and try to um, pursue success. However, I don't think attributing it to any racial or cultural stereotypes is a healthy way to go about living life. Yeah, for Yeah, so I've seen the model minority myth present in a lot of films, uh, especially modern day films. That so I've seen like Asians in these films be portrayed as that A student that's socially awkward and is just meek and won't speak up for themselves, which also perpetuates the stereotype of us being this uh, model of success for other people um so basically another thing that i think would help put into perspective why exactly this is a myth and not just a somewhat true stereotype is that the income gap between asian americans is probably one of the highest that we have and so i actually was recently reading a harvard law article saying that percentages as of 2016 the top 10th percentile of asian americans they earn 10.7 times as much as the bottom 10th percentile so the poverty for asian americans because we are immigrants and because we face this sort of um, this myth and this the stereotype is actually way higher than people think. Yeah, so there's also historical events that have made sort of Asian Americans become this model minority because of the Immigration Act back in 1960 by President Johnson, who uh, who allowed Asian Americans to come into America, but they picked out sort of the exemplary ones like engineers or doctors, which reinforced this sort of myth that immigrants coming into America have to be sort of capable in the intellectual or career sense, which puts pressure on other minorities because of their different circumstances that have allowed them to immigrate into America. I think this really begs the question of how can we redefine success outside of racial and cultural stereotypes? And so before I get into this, I think that it's really important to acknowledge that this kind of thing, it should not be a political issue. I know it's a little bit more controversial than it should be, actually, because it should be objectively known that stereotypes are wrong. But I think that we should understand that this kind of thing, by addressing the model minority myth, it's not a political topic. It's just human decency. So my thought of how we can redefine success out of racial and cultural stereotypes is by starting to attribute to our own personal factors. And so one way of doing this is saying, hey, I really enjoy doing X, Y, and Z topic. 
I think I'm pretty good at it. I'm going to pursue it because it's something I enjoy. And so that's one way of attributing it to your own intrinsic personality traits or intrinsic traits rather than focusing on external things outside of your control. And so overall, I think this can be applied to more than just responding to the model minority myth. In fact, I think this is a really great way of taking personal responsibility for your own um, for your actions. And I think it'll overall make you a stronger, more responsible and more driven person. I 100% agree with Maddie here about um, looking at the things in your life that you really enjoy doing. Because oftentimes we are pressured by society, by parents or friends um, and stereotypes to be a certain way or do a certain thing. And I think that you need to realize that you should be doing the things that you enjoy rather than trying to live up to other people's expectations. And it's pretty hard Um, I feel like I've experienced this as well. I don't know. My parents weren't really the ones to be like, hey, you should be like this. But um, I always felt pressured by society and other people around me to have a certain career path. Um, But I'm starting to realize that that's not where my happiness is. And so starting to veer away from that and do the things that I like. Yeah, going off of that, my parents never actually sort of pressured me with the kind of expectations that you see in the stereotypes of in those movies or TV shows. But I still feel the social pressure to sort of do uh, pursue the careers that Asian Americans stereotypically pursue. But over time, like Fiona said, I've realized that success isn't really defined by what our stereotype tells us to do it's more about what we want to or what we want to pursue and what we think is rewarding towards us and for society as a whole yeah that's actually a really great point because i think that also focusing more towards our asian american audience if you are facing or feeling like you're facing this it is true that this is very real and very valid what we can do personally, how we can respond to it, because I honestly, unless a huge significant change in society is made, it's going to continue happening. What we can do to like respond to this and better ourselves is by start looking at the intrinsic factors. I know sometimes it's easy to just say, oh, I did well because I'm Asian. But the question is, sometimes you're not always going to do well. And so where does that leave your identity? And I think that the best way to redefine success if you are facing the model minority myth is by just doing a personal inventory of some sort focused on what qualities make you you besides just your the color of your skin transitioning into anti-asian racism we know that the pandemic has caused a lot of this to happen which is unfortunate because the asian american population in america is they're not to blame and we shouldn't blame any of them because it's not their fault um and so i think that anti-Asian racism is becoming more prevalent and I actually have a personal story on this and it may not be as dangerous as the stuff that's been happening in America and we have notes on that um show notes for that but basically I was approached in the parking lot and my classmate who I trusted was like Fiona you're Chinese you can give me coronavirus and I was like excuse me no so 
it's um, more prevalent now. And I really never thought that that would happen to me, but it's happening. And it's very real. Yeah, and building off of that, I think I'll share one of my personal anecdotes, but of course, not naming any names. Um, at the school I was at, I was actually in a class when COVID um, kind of was announced by the news. And this was actually last year, exactly, like right after I went to Lunar New Year Festival. And my teacher asked me to stand up. I was a little bit confused, but the teacher was a little bit eccentric. And so I was like, okay, I'll listen to them. And because of that, I stood up and they asked me, where were you? last weekend and so keep in mind I didn't really think of it anything at first you know I was like oh I was just celebrating Chinese New Year for my family maybe they were truly interested however later on when I was going to show a problem or like a math problem or it wasn't a math problem but like an equation or of some sort some kid next to me said don't cough on me you'll get me sick and it was directly in front of the teacher who asked me that thing. And so this is where it confirmed that that question was a little bit racially motivated. And it's not a matter of being sensitive or being or not. It's just a matter of fact that that happened. And so I think starting to go into like, one way we can solve this is by speaking up against those things and being more active and calling out, not canceling, but educating how to respond to other people being racist towards other people. Building off what Maddie said, it's important to educate other people about racism towards Asian Americans as well as the model minority myth, but there hasn't been a lot of uh, social media coverage or news coverage about Asian American racism and, uh, and sort of actions that have been taken against us that are deemed racist. So that brings up the question as to why there is lack of media coverage. And I actually talked to my parents about this some time ago. And because they've been in America as a Asian American immigrant, they told me about how they think in Asian culture, we're always told to sort of respect our authorities or respect the people around us if we don't know what we're doing. That sort of mindset in America, especially when we face racism, is not very good, especially because we won't be able to speak up about the things that um, the things that happen to us. And it's good that people like Maddie and Fiona are able to speak out about experiences they've had. And we need more Asian Americans to talk about these kinds of problems so that we can educate other people about racism against Asian Americans as well. That's really well said, Lauren, actually. I was recently reading the news. I was lucky enough to find a news source that focuses on um, Asian communities, and I actually did hear some coverage. And so I believe it was last week, but there was an increase in anti-Asian like racism. Like An elderly man was pushed over, fatally pushed over in Oakland. His, his name was Vicha Riptanapakti, and he suffered fatal injuries. And um, this, this man who pushed him over, there's no context as to why they did it, but the family of Vicha believes that it was racially motivated. And now, whether or not it is or not is not for us to judge, but we do know that the increase of things like this, a man's face was slashed open with a knife, and thankfully he survived that, but it leaves quite a permanent scar. And Another example is historic Japantown monument in San Jose was defaced with graffiti. I think there were or slurs against like Asian people against it. And I think that these horrific things they have been, there's been a lack of media coverage compared to 
other events that have been happening. And I think it's a really great thing to do is to start contacting your local news sources. If you know anything about it, urge them to say, hey, we really want to see a story on this. What are you saying about this? Encouraging other news sources, local news sources or national news sources to start stepping up about these things will hold those people accountable and likely decrease the anti-Asian racism that we've been facing. Because I think we can all agree that elder abuse and racially motivated hate crimes are objectively wrong. And so, yeah, I think that's what I have to say about it. I definitely agree with you there, Maddie, and that we should push um, publicity on all these events that are happening, these tragic events. And I think that the main purpose of all of this, why we do this podcast, why we want to share all this information is to educate people. I think that education is probably the most important thing when it comes to like battling racism and teaching people about um, culture. And so I think that it's a good push here to um, reach out to social media, post about it. I don't know, reach out to newspapers and all that because people need to be aware of it all. Agreed. And additionally, I think that, as I said before, racially motivated things should just be considered objectively wrong. But unfortunately, it has been deemed political by society. And so I guess what I have to say to that is if hearing the story of Vicha or the man whose face was slashed open, if those stories make you uncomfortable and us asking for increased awareness makes you uncomfortable, I think that might be a sign to reevaluate where you stand. Now, this isn't meant to be like a um, a place where we are to confront you or, or anything like that. Actually, we're asking you to stand with us we need solidarity here we need to be united more than ever rather than focusing on other things that focus on division and promoting division so yeah i think it's important just to be aware and be open okay so i think we can transition here to talk about the intersectionality of um like this kind of thing how does racism like against asians intersect with other communities because i've actually heard a lot of very various arguments here talking about like how black communities are more likely to target Asian communities and vice versa. And so similar to the model minority myth, which we can actually attribute to part of that cause is there's been a systemic divide between Asian and black communities. Unfortunately, that's led to increase in both anti-Asian and anti-black racism. And so the question here is why do y'all think that there's increased tension between Asian and black communities? Like in addition to the model minority myth, The model minority myth is definitely a major contributor to the tensions between Asian and Black communities, especially because I've seen people of the Black community be compared to other races because of how they've been able to, um, how they've been able to, like, stand racism or something similar to that, especially because of um, I'm going to bring up another historical example, actually. Uh, I believe his name was William Peterson, who was a sociologist. He wrote about how the Japanese Americans were able to overcome discrimination because of their work ethic. And that indirectly tells other races, like, that indirectly tells other people of color or other races that they're, they're not working hard enough, and which is why that they're still experiencing racism. But in reality, that's the fact that they're saying that the Japanese Americans were able to overcome discrimination because of their work ethic is 
a clear indication of racism as well, which is, I think, what has caused a lot of the tensions between Asian Americans and the Black community and other communities also, because they feel like as if Asian Americans are making Asian Americans are making it so that their racism is justified when uh, when when neither sort of point of view is accurate in describing racism. I think you make a really valid point, Lauren, especially considering that the racism and discrimination that Asian Americans and non like other people of color that they face, it's very distinct. And so I think that the example you brought up is really important because Japanese Americans, while they have faced so much discrimination, like I'm talking about like the internment camps during World War II because of the events that occurred there versus the slavery that black Americans faced back in um, 17 to actually way prior to that during the founding of America, those systemic issues are still ingrained, but they're distinct from each other. And so comparing one's pain and suffering, it's not a suffering Olympics, but I think that it's important to understand that each of those are valid in their own way and we need a response to them like so. Yeah. And also a lot of racism towards Asian Americans, people mask it as a a compliment or something positive. (laughs) In which, looking at it from other communities' perspective, it doesn't seem like really considerate of how other people have sort of experiences that may have been different from Asian communities. 100%. I mean, I didn't talk much because I think you guys covered it really well. I think that it's, we shouldn't put two minorities against each other, like I said before, because each minority has experienced a different past, right? With the Japanese and the internment camps and then the segregation with the um, black community. And so, yeah, I think that it's very not okay to um, compare minorities and put them against each other. I guess that's the basis of it. Yes. And so with that, I think we can move on to like the next section which i would consider um actually before i move the actual transition if you guys take a look at this section i i forgot to separate it but that's the intersectional activism part so um i think with that being said i think we've really like defined what kind of harmful impacts there are to asian american racism especially in light of COVID. the reason why i brought up the tensions between specifically asian and black communities and the perpetuation of anti-blackness is that the, uh, the person who pushed over um, the elderly man in Oakland, he was black. And so I was looking through a lot of news articles, seeing the comments, attributing it to the fact that they are black. And so we have to remember that if we are standing up against racism, we cannot exclude other communities from our activism. And so I think that brings into the topic of intersectional activism. What can we do to promote equity and Um, anti-racism without putting down another culture or another community and so I'm going to open the floor to you two and share your thoughts of how we can do so. I think a large part of it is working with other people and having like both sides um, well they're not really sides because we're all minorities and we're all working together but I think that we should have different minorities come together and talk about these problems because once again education is key and so if we have Um, multiple minorities talking to each other about these things and I think that people will understand better 
and understand like the culture of racism and what we should do about it. Instead of making activism a trend, it should be sort of something that we normalize on social media to educate other people who might not experience the racism that minorities experience and to just share the sort of concern we have for our community and other communities about xenophobia, racism, and the hate crimes that Maddie was talking about to the general public who might not be as educated about these kinds of problems. Yeah, Lauren, that's really well said. And I'd just like to add that I actually will be including in the show notes. There's this Wikipedia page that I found was really helpful in doing research and understanding how this works. There's a list of incidents of xenophobia and racism related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I'll be linking that as well there. And so in addition to sharing on social media and educating, which I'd like to clarify, doesn't mean that you're quote, a dumb or uneducated person just because you aren't as aware. It just means that you have a place to learn. And I think that's actually a great place to be if you're willing to learn. And so in addition to that, it's actually really important to reevaluate our own rhetoric. And so I can kind of already hear some people saying to me, I don't want to be politically correct and I don't want to have to censor myself. And so I think the main response to that would be that if you can't be funny or if you can't say something without saying phrases like the Chinese virus or the Kung flu, those things may be funny to people it don't doesn't affect, but believe it or not, the, that kind of rhetoric against Asians and not just Asian Americans, actually the entire Asian community internationally, it's quite harmful. And it's important to say, am I is what I'm saying beneficial or going to help what I'm saying? Am I making a point with this? And so you don't have to 100% censor yourself, but just do society a favor and think twice about what you're saying before you say it. Impulse control is pretty good quality and it costs you nothing to be a kind person and being an empathetic person, asking myself, how does this affect the people around me? And so that goes for, say, tweets too, you know, like I've seen, especially during COVID-19, certain political figures or certain celebrities actually promoting such rhetoric. And if you have influence over anyone based on how you say your words have impact and reframe the way that people see the world, they trust you. There's an inherent trust in in, um, verbal exchanges. And so because of that, it's important to just check yourself. And sometimes, if you're not sure, because that happens sometimes, um, you should be willing to learn and also ask questions to those who um, know and who can tell you what to say instead of saying something and then regretting it after. Um, So, yeah, you have to be able to adapt and learn um, and know what is racist and what isn't and be careful again, with your rhetoric, because it can be pretty hurtful. And also, don't be afraid to ask questions and ask us to clarify what is respectful and what isn't, because the fact that you are concerned for us and you want to know what is respectful and what isn't is really big already and is something that is also respectful on your part just by asking us. Yeah, actually, that's a great way to wrap up here because I think it's important to know that if you mess up and 
someone corrects you, it's not from a place, generally, they shouldn't be correcting or educating from a point of trying to prove their superiority to you. It's It should never be an attack to educate someone about how this feels. And so it's similar to how people say, oh, this statement wasn't racist because I have an Asian friend or because, oh, it's not real. Racism, COVID-19 racism isn't real. I've been affected more than that. I've seen those phrases several places on social media in real life and believe it or not, in the news, actually believe it, in the news. And so I think the best way to be here is like if someone says from like an Asian community or from any person of color or from any specific group, they say that's offensive or racist and you know their reasoning is reasonable. (laughs) If you know that their claim is reasonable, it's a really good point to just be open and try to check yourself next time and say, hey, is this really, do I really need to say that? And so finally for Asian listeners, as I said before, now is not the time to use these horrific events to promote anti-black racism. Um, As we stated before, society is set up in a way that pits BIPOC communities or black indigenous people of color against each other. And I don't think that hate or racism is exclusive to a specific race. Of course, there's distinctions, but it's all of our duties to work to prevent it. And so do what you can. Just if someone says something racist, say, hey, that's not cool. You know, it's just like how um, it would stand up to someone just saying a very rude thing to someone else, even if it wasn't related to race. It's just human decency. And so I encourage you all to be open, work to prevent it. Look at the resources if you'd like to learn more about what exactly is happening in the Asian community. And um, any closing comments, Fiona, Lauren? I think Maddie wrapped it up pretty well. That was very well said. Yeah, and I guess um, I just kind of want to end with a note, like be nice to each other and don't hate on each other. And I think that's ultimately the most important thing and being aware of everything that's going on around you. Yeah, and so with that being said, I think now it's time to say goodbye to Fiona and Lauren. Thank you so much for showing up to this interview and discussion. And um, once I get this edited down, I'm really excited to share this. If you're listening to this on Chinese or Lunar New Year, happy Lunar New Year to both our Asian communities and our non-Asian communities. We're so grateful for you and for your willingness to listen and be a part of the change. Bye, Lauren. Bye, Fiona. Bye, thank you. Bye. All right, that about sums it up for today. This is Madeline Sang, your host for Simply Empowered, a podcast for teens by teens. If you like what you hear, make sure to follow us on Spotify, Google Play Music, Amazon Podcasts, or iTunes at Simply Empowered. Thank you so much for our listeners and supporters for tuning in, and I hope you all have an empowered day.